Man, that's our prayer every week that the Holy Spirit would fill this place. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see you guys this morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody enjoying this weather? Pretty insane. So, are you, uh, you kids, teenagers, you guys ready to go back to school tomorrow? And parents are like, yes, yes, we are. All right. Uh, I tell you, man, I enjoyed uh, our Isaiah series that we've been in uh, the last six or so weeks. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it as well. But today we are starting a new series. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to the New Testament book of Acts. Acts, if you don't have a Bible or you don't own a Bible, there should be a hardback black Bible in the row in front of you underneath the seats. And it looks like the one I have in my hand here, and I will tell you that it is on page 882, page 882, if you want to turn there, Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. And then if you want to also hold that and then also turn to Luke, Luke's gospel, which you're going to go back to the left, uh, Luke chapter 1, that is page 830 in those hardback black Bibles, right? Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1, we're going to read down through verse 8. The words will be on the screen for you as well. This is what it says from the ESV translation. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father God, we just, uh, we just thank you. Man, we, we just come before you and we thank you, God, for uh, the opportunity for us to come together. Uh, God, the freedom that we have to be able to do that. Uh, God, we thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. And Father, we just... Uh, pray that as we continue to worship you through your word, uh, God, we pray your Holy Spirit would just continue to move in this place. God, that we would uh, experience your presence here. God, regardless of, of where we've come from, regardless of, of what we're dealing with in our life, uh, God, I know that we come into this place with all kinds of distractions and uh, things that we're struggling with and things that we're battling and um, Father, I just pray that uh, today that you will move and that uh, 
that you would just reveal yourself to us. God, as we, as we exalt your son, Jesus, I pray, God, your spirit would move and that you would open our, our eyes and our hearts to see you and our need for you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So has, uh, has anyone here ever done a family tree or taking, taken one of those uh, Ancestry.com tests? Anybody here ever done that? Family tree, Ancestry.com? Family tree or Ancestry.com? Okay, but you did family tree. Uh, how far back did you go? Do you know? Do you remember? Really? That's impressive. That's good. That's good. Did you learn anything interesting or intriguing or... Yeah. Really? That is wild. That is wild. Uh, I, I, anybody else? Family Tree, Ancestry.com? Yes, Richard? Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Anybody else? Family tree, ancestry.com. I thought I saw a hand over here. Daniel, you done ancestry.com? See, that's awesome, man. That, that, that's really cool. See, so basically, and I, I did a family tree when I was like, I think I was, I think I was in elementary school, so I, I didn't go back too far. I think my mom helped me with it, and we went back to like three, like my great-great-grandfather or something like that. It wasn't very far at all. Uh, but I've never done one of the Ancestry.com uh, deals, but uh, man, it, what it does is it allows you to trace your lineage back to, to your family history, man, and, and to kind of see where, where your family comes from and and, and all that, those different things. And what's cool about that is, is Robin and I actually watched a video on this this past week because we were talking about this. And um, Ancestry.com has a video, and they brought all these people into a room, uh, maybe about this size, I'm not, I can't, it was a big group. And they, they asked them, say, where, where, do you, where do you think, you know, your, your family's from? Where do you think you, you trace your lineage back? And they all gave these different answers, and they all thought they knew, right, where, where, they, where they originated from, right, where their family's from. They trace it back. And uh, they said, would you be willing to take a DNA test to kind of find out? And they were like, sure. And uh, it was just amazing to kind of see all the results. And something similar happened in this uh, test that they showed. They actually had this woman sitting there. And this woman, they were like, would you be surprised to know that you actually have a cousin that's in this room? And she's like, what? You know? And they, they didn't know. They had no idea. The other guy stood up. They, they told him to stand up. And they, they, at that, that moment, they learned through that DNA testing, that they were related and that they were cousins, right? Isn't that pretty cool? I, I was pretty amazed at that. You guys seem like, yeah, whatever, okay? Uh, I, I thought that was pretty cool. But, but your, DNA, your DNA can reveal your ethnic mix and ancestries you never knew you had. Like one woman on Ancestry.com discovered that she was actually related to George Washington. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, but again, you guys are like, well, whatever, okay. So we'll move on from that, okay? Okay. Uh, but, but, but so we're kicking off, we're kicking off this, this new series today in the New Testament book of Acts. And for Christians, for believers in Christ, uh, Acts is very much like Ancestry.com. 
Acts is where the New Testament church is birthed. Acts gives us the ability to study kind of our roots, right, our lineage, where we came from as a church, right? For instance, if you've ever wondered, if you've ever sat here and wondered uh, where, why we gather together here every week and why we do the things we do on a week-to-week basis, like sing songs and, and take the Lord's Supper or communion and, and do all those different things, uh, then look no further than the book of Acts, Right, Acts, Acts is kind of like our family tree or our ancestry.com. Uh, nothing is more prominent in the book of Acts than the spread of the gospel, right? The gospel is the good news that God created us, that God loves us, um, that he created us to, to be in a relationship with him, but we rebelled against God, we turned away from that, we decided to go in our own direction, and yet God uh, in his kindness and his grace and his mercy, his compassion, he pursues after us. He sent Jesus, his one and only son, to this earth to die uh, in our place, to be a substitute for uh, our sin and uh, to restore us back to God. That's the gospel good news. And so Acts reveals God's passionate pursuit of his people, beginning with his followers, okay, in Jerusalem, where it all starts, expanding to Judea then to Samaria, and then finally to the rest of the world. You see, at the end of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus had this vision that everyone would hear this Gospel message, this good news, because the Gospel is for everyone. Right? The Gospel is for the poor. The Gospel is for the rich. The Gospel is for those who don't have it together and for those who think they have it together. The Gospel is for those who are beat up and worn down. It's it's for everyone, and that's what the book of Acts is about, and that's why we've entitled this series, The Gospel Continued, right? Acts is a continuation of Jesus' ministry and what he began, right? So it might be helpful to think of Acts as a link, and as Eva has put up on the, the slide there, we made this little slide for you uh, as a visual so you can kind of see uh, what this is about, but Acts is, is a link between the Gospels and then the rest of the New Testament, okay? Uh, so it's, it, it might be helpful to think of Acts in this way. Um, the Gospels tell the story of Jesus and all that he did, okay? Acts, uh, and, then, and then the rest of the letters kind of are, flow from Acts, right? Everything that happens in Acts is a result of the letters, the different churches that were started in the book of Acts, which we'll study throughout this series, all right? It's the Gospel Continued. Acts is important because if we didn't have Acts, then we, we would be introduced. Right? So imagine if we didn't have Acts, then we would, we would leave the Gospel of John, and then we would go to Romans, and we'd be introduced to this character named the Apostle Paul, who used to be Saul, and we'd be like, who is, who is Paul? Right? We, we'd be asking all these questions uh, if we didn't have the book of Acts. Right? Acts is is important to the New Testament, right? If we didn't have it, we would kind of have this incomplete picture of what the church looks like. Now, Acts, uh, this is the reason why I had you turn to the Gospel of Luke also, if you did that, but Acts is actually a part of a two-volume book written by a guy named Luke, okay? Luke's first volume is the Gospel of Luke. And so Acts is a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. Actually, Acts and Luke are probably one big book and later divided into two separate volumes. Okay, so it's really Luke-Acts 
okay? And uh, we don't have a ton of information on Luke. Uh, we know that he is the only non-Jewish person who wrote a book in the Bible. And we do know from Colossians 4.14 uh, that he is a medical doctor. He's a physician. And uh, some of that is kind of drawn out in the Gospel of Luke because of some of the stories he tells. Uh, you can tell he's, he's a doctor by the way he tells those stories. And, um, and he's also a travel companion of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts because when you read through it, oftentimes you hear him talk about we, we went here, we went there. And so Luke is traveling with the Apostle Paul in a lot of his missionary journeys, okay? Uh, but Colossians 4.14, Paul writes, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. And so we know that Luke is a doctor. But I also want you to notice in verse 1 of Acts, you can go ahead and take that off the screen, Eva, unless you guys want to keep it there. You guys want to keep it there? All right, okay. Uh, if you want it later, I can send it to you. Uh, <laughs> notice in verse 1, he writes, we're going to have some fun this morning. You guys want to have some fun? All right. Notice, notice in verse 1 he writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, and I apologize, today may seem like a, a bit of uh, like you're sitting in class and like I'm a teacher. Uh, it's just introducing this series and introducing, and we're going to be talking about some heavy things today, so I just want to prepare you for that, um, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But notice in verse 1 he writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, uh, and then again, if you go back to the opening verses of Luke's gospel, Okay, uh, this is what he writes. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. All right, so, so both books, Luke and Acts, are addressed to this guy named Theophilus, right? So who is Theophilus? Well, that's a good question. We really don't know who Theophilus is. The name Theophilus literally means loved by God, but it carries the idea of a friend of God. And so that has oftentimes led a lot of uh, commentators, a lot of people who study the Bible to believe that, uh, that these letters, that these books that Luke wrote were meant to just generic type of Christians. It could be to anybody. Uh, but, but the fact that in the Gospel of Luke, he uses that word, most excellent Theophilus, uh, probably means that, uh, that Theophilus was a uh, high-ranking, influential Gentile um, that Luke wanted to provide a detailed account, historical account, of Jesus and his ministry and the spread of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. So that, that's kind of who Theophilus is, right? And so verses 1 through 3 of Acts serve as a connector or a summary statement between Luke and the gospel of Acts, right? So if you were to read them together, if you were to read Luke and then straight to Acts, you would see that verses 1 through 3 kind of connect the two books together, Okay? Luke gives us some detail about what Jesus was doing. This is important, right? Luke gives us detail in Acts about what Jesus was doing those 40 days between his resurrection, which we talked about last week, and his ascension going back to the Father, right? So first he says that Jesus presented himself alive to the disciples after his suffering by proofs. In other words, after Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was buried in the tomb for three days, Jesus was raised from the dead, 
and he presented himself to his followers. Now listen, that's, that's important because Luke is giving us more validity to the resurrection of Jesus. Luke was an educated man. Luke was a doctor. Luke knows when somebody is dead. Right? <laughs> he, he could look at somebody and say, yeah, he's dead. He's, he's, he's dead. Right? And so Luke is saying that Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. Jesus was dead, but Jesus is not dead. Right? They, people who, who are dead, they don't turn up several days after the funeral and hold conversations and have meals. But that's what Luke says that Jesus did. He also says that Jesus was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And that's important because the kingdom of God has everything to do with what's coming next in the book of Acts. It's everything to do with what the purpose of Acts and what the church is about, right? And so what is the kingdom of God? Well, it's interesting that you ask that question because for the disciples and for the people in Jesus' day when they heard kingdom they immediately thought of a specific geographical, political, or military kingdom. And, and you can see that down in verse 6 of Acts chapter 1. All right, now if I go too fast for anybody and you want any of this stuff later, just come and talk to me and we can sit down I can share this stuff with you, whatever, okay? Because uh, this is all important stuff. But verse 6, it says, When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Right, so, so see, they, they were still thinking solely about their little nation of Israel. And that's understandable because, listen, th these guys were good Jewish boys, right? They, they had studied the Old Testament, they knew the Old Testament language, and they knew that the Old Testament spoke of a king that would reign on the throne of David, King David from the Old Testament, we've talked about him in previous weeks, forever. Right, he, he would be the Messiah. And so they, they thought, okay, Jesus, he's the king. He's the Messiah. He's going to be the one who's going to free us from the Romans. And uh, that's what they thought, right? And so when they see Jesus down on the cross, right, their, their hopes are, are dashed. They're thinking, I mean, this, I thought he was the Messiah. I thought he was the one. And so Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom of God in the Gospels or the kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus talks about it, though, he talks about it in a way that the people, he talks about it in a way of, of the people of God seeing God as their king, right? It's about the reign and rule of God in, in their lives, not a specific geographical or political type of setting. And so Jesus, what he's doing in these first three verses of Acts chapter 1 is he is expanding their limited view of kingdom, the nation of Israel, Right? In other words, you, he, Jesus is like, you're interested in a particular spot, you're interested in a particular group, but my kingdom, Jesus says, is global, right? It's, 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 it's all over, right? So what Jesus does is he removes their barriers to their understanding of the kingdom, one nation, to make room for all the nations, and that includes you and me this morning. And so when the disciples asked that question in verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus doesn't necessarily dodge the question, but he doesn't necessarily answer the question either. Because in verse 7 he says, listen, it's not for you to know the times, seasons, the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed. 
Now, I'm sure Jesus is probably thinking, man, you guys just don't get it yet, right? <laughs> you guys are just killing me here, killing me dead, right? I've been dead once, and you're killing me dead again, right? But, uh, but then in verse 8, it's, it's, it's great how Jesus kind of moves into verse 8. He kind of shifts the focus, right? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Now, Again, if you were to go back and read the end of Luke's gospel, chapter 24, verses 47 through 49, you would see that this is almost the exact same thing, right? It says, And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. He says, You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So, you have right here at the beginning of the book, really the mission of the book of Acts, right? The goal of the book, the purpose of the book, and this is what it is, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, okay? Is everybody good so far? So, right there, you have three things. You have power, you have purpose, and you have plan. That's your outline if you're taking notes. Right? Are you excited? Excellent. Power, power, purpose, plan. So let's start with the power. And this is where it's going to get a little heavy for us, okay? So just bear with me here. And I'll just go ahead and say this up front, okay? I, um, I uh, how do I say this? Let's, say, um, let's just say this, that, that over the next two weeks, we're going to be talking a lot about the Holy Spirit. And I, I, I was just going to share with you kind of where I land on all these things. And I, I have the ability to do that because I stand up here on the stage, okay? Uh, but it doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything that I say, okay? You have the freedom to, to agree or disagree on this, okay? This is not one of those issues. It's like you've got to believe this. This is, you know, this. So I'm going to share, share with you what my view is on the Holy Spirit and especially over the next two weeks, next week we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, which is a, uh, just a, an awesome, awesome chapter. Um, and so we're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit next week. But, but I, I do feel like that we need to spend some time talking about what the Holy Spirit is, just, just briefly. Uh, because, listen, it's, the Holy Spirit plays a prominent role in the book of Acts. I mean, there is no doubt about it. The Holy Spirit is mentioned over 50 times in 28 chapters. Right, the Holy Spirit is just unleashed in the Book of Acts. Okay, and, and so depending on your church background, if you have one, and maybe you're here and you don't even have a church background, which is great if you don't, because you're not you're not uh, tainted with all this other uh, preconceived things. Okay, uh, but but you either love the Holy Spirit or you are terrified to death of the Holy Spirit. Right. You know what I'm talking about, right? So I grew up in a church that, man, we were terrified of the Holy Spirit. That's just the church I grew up in. And then some, some of you may have grown up in a church, and it was all about the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, that's just depending on what your background is. Now, most Christians feel like they understand who God the Father is and who God the Son is, Jesus. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, eh, it gets a little cloudy. It gets a little fuzzy. Like, eh, we're not sure who the Holy Spirit is. Well, let me, let, me, let me just real quickly tell you, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God. Triune God. He's God, Godhead, right? You've got God the Father, 
God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay? Jesus talks extensively about the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. You can read up that later. Uh, but he's instructing his disciples there, and he's telling them that he's about to leave and go back to the Father. Right? He's getting ready to ascend, which we see that in Acts chapter 1, and go back to the Father. But he tells them in that passage in John chapter 14, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Right? I'm not going to leave you without somebody. But he says, I'm going to send to you another helper. And that word another that Jesus uses in that passage of John 14 is the Greek word alos. It's A-L-L-O-S. Which means another of the same kind. In other words, the Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is divine. He is God. And the Holy Spirit comes to indwell inside of the believer. Right? So, so the Holy Spirit is God and He is personal. Our God is a triune God, which means there is one God and three distinct persons. It's not like a pie chart where you got a third God, third Jesus, third Holy Spirit. It's, it's three distinct persons. Now, I know that just absolutely blows our mind, and it's hard for us to kind of think in terms like that. But God is, that's, that's why God is God, right? And we're not. But we see it in Genesis chapter 1, very beginning, 126. He says, uh, in the creation story, he says, let us, God the Father speaking, let us make man in our image, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All present there in the beginning, creation. One God, three distinct persons. So that's the summary of who the Holy Spirit is. But I also feel like we need to spend just a few minutes and chat about verse 5 because verse 5 can be a confusing verse. And again, if you don't have church background here, uh, you didn't grow up in a church, that's great, okay, because you're probably not tainted with all these different, different ideas of what all these different things mean. But verse 5 we need to ask the question, what is meant by baptism of the Holy Spirit in this context, okay? And then the reason why I say we need to explain this is because if you have church background, you know that people talk about all these different baptisms, right? You've got this baptism over here, you've got this baptism over here, you've got that baptism, you've got that, and it's like, okay, which baptism is it? I mean, what is the difference between all these different baptisms? You know, how do we know that the one that we're doing is the right one? Right, So that's why I feel like it's necessary for us to at least chat about this, and we'll talk more about it next week. But, but basically, there are seven... Are you guys bored yet? Okay, okay, okay. So, so basically, there are... I, I told my wife, I said, man, this sermon just feels very te teachy, like, like I should be in a seminary class or something. So I apologize. But again, if you guys want more later... Uh, not more, but if you want to ask questions, not that you're like, please give me more here of this, you know, I love this. Uh, I'd be more than happy to sit down with you and, and share, okay? But, but there are seven, and I'll just go ahead and say this to you. Listen, I've studied this, and I have looked at, listen, I, I, none of this stuff, I did not come up with any of this stuff on my own, okay? I'm not that smart. I've studied other people who are way smarter than me, and I've studied different opposing views and different things, and I just, I, this is where I land on this, okay? So I'm just sharing you where I land on these things, okay? So there are seven different places in the New Testament where it talks about baptism in the Spirit or with the Spirit. The first four of those seven actually occur in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all spoken by John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. He was the, uh, he was the one that came before Jesus. 
And, and, and we'll just read what he says from Luke 3.16, but it's almost identical in all four Gospels. He says, I baptize you with water, right? That was a Jewish baptism of repentance for forgiveness. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Right? So, so, so they would see it four times right there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The next two times you see it are in Acts, right? We just read one of them, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right? And so it's, it's on the eve, eve of Pentecost, and we're going to talk about Pentecost next week, right? And then the next one is, is later on in Acts chapter 11, verse 16. It's after the uh, experience that Peter has at Cornelius' household. Right, so if you don't know who Cornelius is, we'll get there later on in this series, but Cornelius was a Gentile believer, and so really what Acts chapter 10 and 11 is all about is how the gospel is expanding and opening up now to the Gentiles, right, because the gospel is for everyone, okay, so, so Peter is kind of recounting that experience in Acts chapter 11, verse 16, and in, in both of those instances, Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 11, 16, talk about how the disciples was baptized by the Holy Spirit. And then finally, there's one more instance where it's referred to in the New Testament, and it's later on in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and the Apostle Paul is writing, and uh, this is what he says. He says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Okay, those are the seven instances where you see that phrase, baptism, uh, of the Holy Spirit. Now, in this context, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, the last one I gave you, the Apostle Paul, I think it's pretty clear that Paul is referring to baptism of the Spirit that it occurs at conversion. Right? In other words, when you repent of your sins, confess Jesus as Lord, and put your faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God unites us, He indwells us to Christ so that you are part of His body. I think that's pretty clear from what the Apostle Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. However, I don't think that's what Luke means in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 11. Okay? Uh, and again, when, 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 when John the Baptist talks about it in the Gospels, he says, I baptize you with water. That's Jewish baptism. Okay? So I don't think Luke is talking about salvation type of baptism here where you put your faith and trust in Jesus, right? Because if that were the case, think about it, if that were the case, then that would mean that all the disciples who, with God's help, had confessed Jesus to be the Christ, if you remember that story back in the Gospels, had seen him alive after his resurrection and had their minds opened by Jesus to understand the Scriptures, were, in fact, dead in their sins, right? Because that's, that's what somebody is. When they don't know Jesus, they're dead in their sins. Right? I, just, I, just don't, I just don't buy that. It doesn't make sense to me. Right? Also, Jesus doesn't say to his disciples, he doesn't say, hey, I want you guys to wait in Jerusalem to be born again, right? to receive salvation. He doesn't say, I want you to wait in Jerusalem so you can be converted. Jesus doesn't say that. So I think what Luke means is, and, and this makes the most sense to me, is that the disciples had not yet experienced the full power of what God could do through them by His Spirit, okay? And we're going to talk about Pentecost next week, but Pentecost 
demonstrates, and this is very important, okay, that you, that you can hear me on this, okay? Pentecost demonstrates a shift away from the Old Covenant, okay? Old Covenant before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to the New Covenant, Jesus with his disciples in the upper room. He's having this conversation with them, and he talks about how his blood is the new covenant, right? His blood shed on the cross for our sins is the new covenant. Okay, so you see this shift that's taking place here in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 uh, from Old Covenant to New Covenant. Does that make sense, right? Old Covenant's Old Testament, sacrificial system. They had to slaughter animals and do that every single year. New Covenant, Jesus comes. He dies in our place. His blood is shed once and for all. New covenant. So the disciples had already believed in Jesus, but regarding the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, they were still living in an old covenant spirit. What I mean by that is, in the Old Testament, whenever God wanted to raise up somebody to do something for him, he would send his Spirit to anoint them, to fall on them, to do whatever, and they would be raised up and they would do something miraculous, right? They would do, they would defeat, you know, a thousand people or whatever, you know what I'm saying? They'd do something crazy, right? And then the Spirit would then depart, right? So, so, so that's kind of old covenant type of Spirit. But this new covenant, this power of the Holy Spirit is what is going to ignite the church, which we're going to see next week. And the church just absolutely explodes because here, here's the deal, right? The Holy Spirit is going to come and not just fall on us for a time, but the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, is going to come and live in us. And that's, that's pretty amazing, right? And so that's, so that's what we're going to see, right? Therefore, that's why this is important. This is why Jesus tells them to wait for the promised Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you are lost at this point? How many of you are like, man, I have no idea what you're talking about? You wouldn't admit it if you did, right? So just come to me after the service and say, man, I really did not understand what you were talking about there, and I'd be more than happy to talk to you on the phone this week, whatever you wanted to get some coffee. You can buy me some coffee at, at Starbucks, and, uh, and I'll share my notes with you and, and all those different things, okay? We can, Chipotle's even better. That's even better. I like the way you think, absolutely. <laughs> So, so this, this is why Jesus tells them to wait for the promised Holy Spirit, right? Because this mission that Jesus is giving them is dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit, power from on high. Right? That's, that's why it's important for Jesus, that, again, this is why it's important for Jesus to ascend and go back to be with the Father, right? Back in John 14, he says, I'm going to leave and go back to the Father. And the disciples are like, wow, you know, they're, they're like upset, like, we want you to stay, we want you to stay. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's better for me to go because, listen, Jesus came to, like, just you and I, right? He, was, he had flesh and blood just like you and I, right? He, he was bound by time. Uh, right? He couldn't just be everywhere at once. He was just like us. But if he sends the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can then live in us, right, and then go out and spread the gospel, right? The gospel continues, right? Amen? And that's awesome stuff, man. That's good stuff. And so that's why it's important for him to ascend, right? Besides, Jesus said in John 14, he says, you're going to do greater works, greater works than I. And when he says that, man, I have no idea what all that means. Like, I can't imagine what Jesus meant by that. 
I don't think that means that when you go to work and you pull out your sandwiches, you're going to be able to multiply your sandwich and feed 75 co-workers on one sandwich. I don't think that's what that means. Uh, but but obviously, obviously it means something. And so, uh, again, we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so the Holy Spirit lives in each of us. The power is the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing, man. The, the, this is so important for us, not only individually, but as a church, to, to realize that we can't do this on our own. I mean, we can sit here and we could try to, sure, we could, we, could, we, could, uh, we could put on a show and we could attract people and we could draw a crowd in here and we could do all those things, but we can't, we can't uh, manufacture Holy Spirit power. Just can't do it. And our desire here every single week, man, is that, that, man, we would just exalt Jesus in this place and that the Holy Spirit would show up and just do something amazing in this place. Whether it be an individual person's life or whether it be what, whatever the case may be. I, I don't know, but that, that's our prayer every single week. But we just know, and that's hard. That's hard because we want to try to do things in our own effort, right? We want to try to force things. We want to try to do this. We want to try to, and it's just, we, we, we this is why Jesus says we've got to rely on the Holy Spirit, right? That's the power, the powers in the Holy Spirit. Now, so that's the power. What's the purpose? Well, he says that we would be witnesses, that we would be witnesses, right? He didn't say that you might be, but he said that you will be witnesses. And that's important, too, because that's identity language, right? He says you will be witnesses. You are my witnesses, right? Being a witness is for Christ. A witness is someone who testifies in a court of law because they hold important information in a trial case, right? We, we have the gospel good news. We hold important information that could change people's life. And Jesus says, I want you to be my witness and testify on my behalf. Isn't that amazing that Jesus trusts that he wants us to partner with him in this mission of his? Right, I mean, here, here you have, I think this is, this is so comical because here you have the disciples who still didn't get it. Right, Jesus is explaining the kingdom of God to them, and they're like, two verses later, they're asking, is this where you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? <laughs> Jesus is like, ah, oh, yeah. No, but you, but you are going to go out, and you're going to be clothed with power, and you're going to be my witnesses, right? He had to think, man, no, I'm just kidding, he didn't do that. <laughs> but but, but he, he trusts us with that, right? This is what he does. Right? This, is, this, is the whole, this is what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do, right? To promote, listen to me, to promote Jesus, to proclaim Jesus, to talk about and make much of Jesus. That's what our purpose here is, to make much of Jesus. Man, when you are out there and you are talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit is all about that. The Holy Spirit is all about that. The Holy Spirit wants to be in you because you are talking about Jesus. And I know that sounds terrifying, right? And again, if we try to do this in our own strength, then we will fail. Right, we'll fumble and we'll fail and we'll you know. listen. I, I, there are countless examples, too many for me to even list, where I have been in situations and had opportunities to share the gospel to make much of Jesus, and I have fumbled over words or I have held back because I've been timid, and I've had to leave those opportunities and think, man, I had to repent. I had to repent. I just said, Jesus, I, I just I, I did not I did not tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. I did not allow you to speak through me. And proclaim Jesus to these people. Uh, I'll give you an example. Just uh, two examples uh, this past week. Um, so, so last Saturday, a week ago, this past Saturday, we went to Hyde Park to do the egg hunt. And we, 
got called by Hyde Park. They actually called us and said, hey, would you guys be willing to, to partner with us to do an egg hunt? And we are like, heck yeah, we'll do that. And it was short notice, very short notice. And uh, so we didn't really prepare to do anything. We were just going to go over there and just kind of uh, meet some people and just kind of talk with people that we already knew and just this and that. And uh, as we get over there, there's this lady that shows up who actually lives in Hyde Park. Uh, she actually attended church here a couple weeks ago. And I met her. Uh, her and her husband, and she said, I'm going to, I asked if I could share the gospel. I was like, hey, that's awesome. She said, did you have anything planned for it? And I'm like, no, we, we really didn't. I said, that'd be great if you do. Uh, but inside, I was kind of thinking, nah, I don't know if this is a good idea or not. This is what I was thinking. I'm just confessing as your pastor, this is what I was thinking, okay? Don't judge me, all right? Uh, I'm being vulnerable here, okay? And so the whole time, right, so, so at the end of the thing, right, you got everybody in the, in the, in the clubhouse, and everybody's having a good time. And then I draw everybody's attention over, and I said, hey, this, this lady wants to share a message with you. And the whole time, I'm just sitting thinking, man, I just don't know. I, you know, I was kind of, like, nervous about this, right? Like, I just don't know if this is a good idea. Because you've got these people, and I just don't know if they're going to be interested, right? And I'm having all these thoughts, all these negative thoughts about this. And she begins to share the gospel uh, with uh, pictures. And the whole time, I'm sitting thinking, man, is anybody even paying attention? This is so silly. You know, I'm... <laughs> I don't know, I'm sorry. Wait, wait till the end of the story, okay? And, uh, and so, so at the end of it, then she, she says, if anybody wants to talk, you know, the pastor's back there, he, he's, he's available. And, uh, and, I, and, and God just absolutely humbled me because there was like two or three, uh, not just people, but like families that we actually talked to um, and talked more about the church and, and got some information. Lynette was able to take over a packet uh, on, on baptism and, and this and that to, to one of the kids. It was just a neat experience. And I left there thinking to myself, God, I am so, so, I'm like these disciples. I'm so, so dumb sometimes, right? I just don't get it. And I went home and I just told Rob, and I, it took me a while to confess it to my wife because I just felt so, I was like, here I am, a pastor, and I'm, you know, doing this. But, but I, I just confessed to her. I said, man, I just, I messed up. I just said, I just didn't trust the power of the Holy Spirit. I didn't trust the power of the Holy Spirit. Fast forward, that was Saturday, Monday, two days later. I'm sitting Monday morning, Johnson Willis Hospital, and I'm praying for uh, a lady here at church who's getting ready to have surgery, and uh, her, her friend is with her, who I think, I think I met one time, but I didn't recognize him. And so I pray with her, and he walks out with me, and uh, to be honest with you, I didn't even know his name. And I said, uh, he said, hey, you got a second to chat with me? I was like, sure, yeah, I got, I got a few minutes. And so we sit down there in the lobby at Johnson Willis Hospital, and he just begins to unload on me. He begins to, uh, to just share this story with me and about how he's just broken and how he's down and out and how he's just, you know, he doesn't believe, uh, you know, this and that. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, God, this is, this is an opportunity for me to, to then proclaim Jesus, and I just need your Holy Spirit uh, to, to speak, to, to help me with this. And so I began as to, to share with him the gospel. I began to share with him that he is lost. That, that he is lost because of his sin, that he is separated. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm a good person, though. And he talked about his pride. He said, I'm a proud man. That's what he said. I said, well, there you go. I said, I said your, 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 your pride and your ego is your idol. And I said, that, that's, that's where your sin is. And I said, that sin is, is what is, uh, is, is separated, separation from you and God. And I said, Jesus is the only answer. Jesus came and died for that sin. And so we talked, and... and um, and he had some more questions, and um, 
and I'll be able to talk with him some more, I'm sure of it, because he said he would come to church. <laughs> so, so I was excited about that. But, but that's just two examples right there, right, of, of, you know, I didn't trust the Holy Spirit's power, and then I did trust the Holy Spirit's power. And, you know, that, that's, that's, that's the deal. You know what I'm saying? We, we can't rely on our own strength. We've got to trust the Holy Spirit and his power. Amen? All right. As, as scary as it may be, as timid as we may be, Right? We've got to proclaim Jesus. We've got to pro- proclaim the gospel. So that's the purpose. What's the plan? Well, Jesus, and we're going to wrap this up. Jesus said the disciples would be witnesses starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, everywhere. Right? There's nowhere that's off limits to your calling to be a witness. And again, I just, I just want to point out that, that we are recipients of this original mission. Right? We are here today. Because those original apostles, the disciples, went out and the gospel continued, right? They spread throughout everywhere. And we are here today because of it, right? God has sent us to people, right? To to neighbors, friends, family, to people that you don't know, right? He has sent you to people that you like and the people that you don't like, right? He, He has sent us to people who are like you and the people who are nothing like you. He has sent us to all of them. I like what uh, this guy named Vance Pittman, he says this. He says, Jesus basically tells the disciples to start in Jerusalem, where everyone hated them. And then he says to go to Samaria, where you hate them. Right? Because Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other. And then he says, and then I want you to go to a place that you didn't even know existed. So start, start here where everybody hates you because you're spreading this message of good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then I want you to go to a place where you hate them, right? And then I want you to go where you didn't even know places existed. That's what he is calling us to do. We are sent to be witnesses to them all. We join God in his mission wherever, whenever, for however long it takes for God's glory. Amen? All right, and if we believe that the gospel is good news, and if the gospel has changed your life, right, then there's a lot of people out there. I, I talked to Dexter Jones this morning, right? And, and we were praying over here in this side room, and Dexter Jones is a member here at the church, and he's just seen his, his growth has been absolutely amazing. I love seeing transformation. And he's just sitting there sharing this journey that God has had him on, and this transformation, and how God has changed his life. And I imagine that, that so many of you can have that same story, how God has, has shaped you and changed you and transformed you to become more like his son, Jesus. And if we believe that that's the case, if the gospel is good news, right? If the gospel is good news, then there are lots of people out there who do, don't know this good news, right? They, they need to know it even if they don't think they need to know it, right? Dr. Paul Tillich was a German philosopher and a theologian. And he said that there are three anxieties that every person faces that no amount of wealth, pleasure, or psychology can resolve. Right? He said there's an anxiety in all of us about death. And I would agree, right? There's the fear of the unknown. There's an anxiety in all of us about guilt, right? Uh, and there's an anxiety in all of us about the purpose of life. Now, there are huge industries exist that exist to try to cure these anxieties, right? You can go to the bookstores, and you can buy all kinds of books. You can read articles. You can read videos. And all these cures fail miserably, right? They give people a false hope. 
But Jesus came to earth and he offers a fix for all of these anxieties. Right? Think, think about it, right? We don't have to be anxious about death because Jesus in his death swallowed up in victory through eternal life. Right? People who suffer from guilt, right? Whether it's guilt, guilt from something they did last night or it's guilt from something they did a year ago, right? Jesus takes our guilt and shame on the cross. He nails it to the cross. People who struggle with purpose in their life, Jesus gives us a sense of mission and purpose. And every single day you wake up, man, you've got a sense of purpose and mission because Jesus has called us to be witnesses no matter where you go. We have purpose in this life to make much of Jesus in our workplace, our neighborhoods, wherever we go. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time that we've had to study your word. God, I know that today was a little heavy, a little deep, and I just pray, Father, that your spirit would just continue to move. And God, as we come to a time of response, I pray if there's somebody here that just needs prayer, needs encouragement, God, maybe they're dealing with guilt in their life. Maybe they have some fears of their own. God, I pray that you will encourage them this morning. God, I pray that they would feel your presence and that they would just be moved to just allow somebody to pray for them and encourage them. Father, we uh, pray that if there's somebody here that uh, hasn't put their trust and faith in you, God, I pray that they would do that this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to stand and, re- and, and sing this song of response. And I just want to invite you. We've got prayer team members here. Uh, man, they would love to pray with you. Regardless of what your situation is or your circumstances, they would love to uh, encourage you this morning and pray with you. So if you're going through something, Uh, There'll be somebody in the back. There'll be somebody up front here. Uh, They would love to pray with you. I'll be up here as well if you want to talk more about uh, what it means to, to, to give your life to Jesus and to put your faith and trust in him. I'd love to chat with you about that as well, okay? Is everybody good?